Welcome to Coffee Charge Conversations. Today we are joined by Richard Farson, one of my very good friends. Um, just a little bit of an introduction um, for Richard. We met in grade eight. Yeah. Opened the batting together. Um, mm. Yeah, we loved our, our cricket. And I think from there, I could already see just the type of person you are and your love for sport. And yeah, you just had a, an instant zest for life. Um, we've decided we, with the podcast, uh, since it went quite well with Guy last time, that we're going to have an ice bath before mm. every podcast episode. Um, today was your first ice bath. Um, tell me about that. How How is that for you, Ricky? Well, firstly, just want to say thanks for having me. It really is an honor, Mike. Um, super proud of you, by the way. And uh, yeah, the ice bath, to be honest with you, I was proper bricking it when you mentioned it to me because I haven't done an ice bath since like first year varsity when we're doing football so yeah i was proper breaking it but um as you said if you can get through the first two minutes you're good to go and then yeah i think the next four minutes was fine we both managed to do six minutes which i think was impressive from both of us i think we could have gone longer actually but yeah it was a proper cool experience and nice start to the day to wake up nice and early get going have a bit of banter before yeah so i think it was really cool yeah oh, that's awesome um and I think you were also about 20 minutes longer than, than Guy from the last one. So that, <laughs> <laughs> that's always good. Um, yeah, I think what drew me to your energy instantly, even from grade eight, was just seeing how family orientated you were and how much you stuck to your values. Um, and you always, you always had a positive spin to things, mm. even when things weren't quite going your way, you had a quick turnaround time and I'm interested to know, you always refer to enjoy the life. Oh yeah. So what does enjoy the life mean? I can't even remember where I got it from, but yeah, it was a couple of years ago it started and it's kind of been my life motto. Um, how I would probably describe it is it's just genuinely creating memories and having the best possible time you can have with the people that you love because there's so much negativity and you know you just go on Twitter for example with me when I go on Twitter in the morning you just see so much rubbish and one thing you can control is your mindset um, and that's kind of where Enjoy the Life came from and yeah I kind of just started as a bit of a fun thing that I would post as a caption on Instagram and it's just evolved into yeah, positive mindset um, and having the best possible time with, with the people that you cherish most and that you love the most. That's and I, kind of... I think, sorry to interrupt. No I think with you, what, what I find quite fascinating is, I mean, for those who don't know you, you were, and I know that you're very humble, but in school, I think you got seven distinctions yep. at the end of matric. Yep. And you missed the eighth one by getting 79 for accounting. <laughs> for accounting, yeah. And now you're doing accounting. And now I'm doing <laughs> exactly. It's ironic. But you were always, you always had that discipline. Um, and I saw that throughout school. 
Mm. Um, and I mean, we went to varsity together and you still have it now. Um, but somehow I don't know how you do it, but you've found a way to balance that with a social life. Mm. You have, I don't know how you keep up with, with all your mates. Um, I mean, you've got friends all over, um, but also you just make time to see the people that, you know, mean a lot to you. Yeah. How do you, how do you work out that, uh, work-life balance? It's so difficult, but I think going back to school, um, our time at, at Crawford, um, obviously from when I was in primary school, I was always quite academically inclined, but also love my sport. As you know, like I've been obsessed with sport my entire life. And I think what worked well for me up until matric was I genuinely, <clears throat> sorry, even going into like final exams, I played first team sport like all the way through until the final week before matric finals. Um, when guys would, um, you know, stop sports like a month or so before matric exams, you know, to focus on studies, I literally would make sure that I played every game, every tournament right until the very end. And that just gave me a nice little balance between um, academics and sport. And it kind of kept my mind fresh. Even in varsity, I played football um, in my first three years of varsity. I had the best time at, at Tux. And it it kind of just gave me a breakaway from having to be stuck. Because, I mean, as you know, with especially with accounting sciences as a degree, it's just brutal, especially in your honors year. So to have that sport to fall back on was just something that, um, kept me really fresh and, and motivated because as you know, I'm the type of person that can't be stuck in a room or, or sat down for too long. So for me, it was just really the sport coming through and it's difficult to find time for everyone, like, especially with work and stuff, everyone's so busy, but I think I have my priorities, you know, I have my family, um, I have my girlfriend, I have like my really good mates like you. Um, and sometimes you have to say no, like, um, I think I was a yes man a lot, especially in um, coming out of varsity in early years of varsity. I was a yes man a lot. Like, do you want to go out? Yes. And now I've got to a point in my life where I've learned to say no. It's going to upset some people, of course, but you have to. You have to have priorities. And I think that's what's helped me a lot in the last couple of years. And how did it sit with you when you were a yes man and mm. people were saying let's go out tonight, let's do this, let's do that. And it doesn't sit well with, with your gut, but you're doing it for other people. How did that play out for you? I think it was actually a lot easier than I expected it. I was quite selfish with it, but um, I had my reasoning. I was just, for example, like obviously with, with me being with Chris now for six months, it was so easy for me to say no because I was so happy saying no because I knew I would go back and it would be a chill night, I'd be with her or I'd be at home with my family. So it actually, it was so much easier than I expected it to be. Obviously, I think some people would have got rubbed up the, the wrong way because from the beginning of January, from New Year's Day up until May when I met Chris was literally just carnage. You know, the boys out every night having a jaw, which was cool. It was great. I enjoyed it a lot. But I think all of the, the boys in our friend group and speaking for everyone really when they do settle down and when they do meet someone it is really for me it was really easy to say no yeah. genuinely like a lot easier than i expected it to be 
I mean, that resonates with me as well because... With Michaela. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think I was very similar to you in that... So for me in school, I always felt like a little bit of an outsider and I was quite quiet as well. So I always wanted to be part of a group. And once I found that group, I just wanted to cling on to it, you know. Mm. Um, it's almost like that fear of being abandoned. Yeah. And I think since finding Michaela, it's really helped me with that. Um, and I've been a lot firmer with people. You were very and, good with that. You were very good with that, I must say. Yeah, thanks. Um, I think I, mean, I learned a lot from you with that because you obviously had your relationship and then I had time going into mine. And yeah, I took a lot from how you handled it. Thanks. Because you, you, you definitely had the ability to say no. And you were you were stern with it. You I know? think, honestly, what I'm struggling with a little bit now is, I feel like I've gotten a little bit used to saying no, mm. and and now it's the so other now way it's around. the opposite way. It's never a problem I've had before, mm -hmm. and in a way, it's quite nice to have that problem because yeah. I've been standing up for myself a lot more, mm -hmm. um, particularly this year. But yeah, I mean, I think it's tough to get that work life balance hugely tough right and out of all the people i know honestly from the bottom of my heart i think you've you've got it almost nailed um oh, i appreciate that I don't, I don't think it's i don't think it's physically possible to get it perfectly nailed though um but you can certainly try and um yeah i try my best i try my best it's not it's not always easy as you know but i think i have a decent idea of where the priorities lie. Yeah. And it comes with experience and growing up and getting older. But I think, I mean, we both know, I'm not going to mention any names, but we both know people that do accounting that are just as hardworking as you are and that have struggled mm. in that environment. And I'm sure, I mean, for me, I got, my Zulu mark was higher than my accounting mark <laughs> in... <laughs> <laughs> in matric so for me i really struggled with accounting mm. and i think you've done very very well because for me there's been times where i've really needed a friend and you're often the first person that i actually call oh, and bro, exactly the same for me no matter how busy Appreciate your that. your work schedule is and you might have soccer afterwards or whatever paddle after finishing work at six, seven o'clock at night, you are still just as present and just as caring. And oh, I appreciate that, man. Exactly the same from me, bro, honestly. But we've always had that connection, as you said at the beginning with like us opening the batting at school. We've always had that connection. I remember you being like, um, we, we'd have a tough game and, and we'd always open the batting. I just remember you coming up to me before we go in and you're like, Rich, please just face the first ball, bro. He just face it. I'm like, yeah, sure, sweet, I'll take it. And there's like some guy from North Hierville bowling, like 150 <laughs> bounces at my head. But you see, like we had that connection from from day one, and we I think we've always had the same values. We've we've always been quite we're quite soft, both of us, but like not in a bad way. Like we yeah. we're quite in touch with our emotions, and we can get vulnerable. Like that's kind of where I think we're very aligned, which is yeah, I love it, bro. Yeah, I and I that. mean. Vulnerability obviously comes with positives and mm -hmm. and negatives. What do you think 
because I mean, I think from our relationship, you used to be quite closed off, um, even though you had that soft side. Mm -hmm. And suddenly, in the last few years, you've opened up a lot more um, and shown a lot more of who you are. Mm -hmm. What do you think made that change? Um, I think it just, I think it's just genuinely, it comes with experiences that you go through. I think in school, like I, w I hadn't had a girlfriend. Yeah. I mean, Ash, Ash was my first one and that was, that was out of school. So I hadn't had any of those kind of experiences. Now I've gone through relationships and stuff and I've got to a point where I'm really settled and really happy. So I think it comes with being comfortable, um, and, and drawing on those experiences and being able to use like everything I've learned from those relationships and from like friendships and stuff. And also you get to a point in your life where you're like, why, why hide it? Like we're so old now. We, in, I mean, we're 25, <laughs> you know, we've, yeah. why there's no time for games. There's no time to hide, like just be present and be open. And, um, I think when you are present and open with people, they also genuinely feel happy to be present and open with you. And it just invites like positive dialogue and um, people can learn from each other through all the learnings that they've had through, through experiences. So I'd say it's definitely experience based and just maturity and growing up basically. I think it's not easy even to do, to talk on a platform like this. Um, you know, it's hard to find people that are open enough to be vulnerable and share parts of themselves that other people didn't even know existed. Mm. And yeah, I think in that you're definitely taking a risk, you know, um, people are always going to see you differently. Um, some people might, you might have 50% that are your number one fans mm -hmm. and another 50% can't happen, stand though. you. That's always going to happen though, you know? And I think in order to do that, you have to take a risk. And I think. I mean, you moving to, to Canada next year, yep. which is definitely a big step. Yep. I know because you're a West Ham fan and you feel it in your, your absolute blood. I mean, I've been to your house where <laughs> you've got, you got, it's so cute where you got the whole family there and the scarves and you all wear your West Ham shirts mm -hmm. and you know, you're in it together. I love how your family dynamic is and how you guys just live for for West Ham mm -hmm. in particular what's it going to be like um going to Canada and I mean I, I think it's three months mm -hmm. um I know you wanted to go to London obviously closer to West Ham <laughs> what do you what are your expectations of of Canada um yeah it's a great question because as you said I always had um this kind of vision that when I finished my articles, I'd be going to London, even if it was just for, for three months to do secondment. And, um, you know, it got to a point where all the spots were getting given out and I hadn't really heard anything yet. And everyone that was going to London had heard that they were going to London. So I kind of in my head knew I wasn't going. Um, but at the same time I was like, okay, I'll literally take any, I'll take anything. I was at a point where I was like, three months in a foreign country. I mean, but like I'd bite anyone's hand off for that, for the experiences and just to see something different. And then one morning I'm working at my desk and 
I get an email like, yeah, you've been placed in Toronto. Um, like you have to accept by tomorrow, 8 a.m. And I literally accepted immediately because I would never um, ordinarily go to Canada. Like it's never a place that you just, I don't know anyone that's been like, yeah, I just went to Canada. Yeah. It's a very random place, but I think there's so much um, potential I mean, Toronto, I have no idea what to expect. I know it's going to be absolutely freezing cold. I'm going to freeze my ass off. It's going to be like minus 10 degrees every day. And apparently it's a massive culture shock because, as you know, South Africans are so friendly and everyone's kind of laid back and open here. And I think it might be very different going there. But genuinely, I am very excited and very thinking really positively about it. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm keen to go check out like Toronto Football Club, um, they play in the MLS. So that would be cool. Maybe to go watch some ice hockey, um, just do stuff that is completely different to what I would have here. So I'm really excited for it. Obviously, there's nerves and anxiety that comes with it. But because it's only three months, I honestly feel like it will go like this and I'll be back and it'll be, yeah, I can draw on those experiences. Yeah, well, you better come back. I'm definitely, um, I have my flight booked. I'm coming back. <laughs> 8th of April, I'm back, so... But I, I think that's the thing. You are so good at changing that mentality. I mean, I, I know you, you live London. Whenever mm. you go to London, it it's is my favorite place in the, the world. best holiday you ever go yeah. on. Um, I mean, you had your BBM status back in the day. I think it disturbing was London disturbing London. <laughs> tiny tiny temper you love london mm. but even though that was your dream like you said you got that toronto offer and you took it straight away mm -hmm. and within 24 hours your whole mindset had changed and yeah. you were looking for the positives of of going to canada instead of london mm -hmm. where do you think that mentality comes from i honestly it's so difficult i don't think I don't think anyone in my family thinks the same way as I do. Everyone's very different. Um, but I just think you get to a point where you just have to accept that genuinely, I know it's very cliche, but I think do, things do happen for a reason. I think I could have gone to London in January and, and hated it and worked shitty hours and been like burnt out and had shitty clients. Um, and who knows, Canada could be amazing. I could absolutely love it and like, Obviously, I'm going to come back, but I could have the best time and not want to leave. So it's just making the most of it. And I think because it was so um, different and out there, like I did genuinely just did not expect to go there. I think when they did the, the placements, Canada wasn't even an option on the list. Like no one could go there. So when I got it, um, yeah, it was just so different and so something so fresh that I kind of was, I was a bit bummed to not go to London. But at the same time, I can, I can literally go to London whenever I want, you know, it's three months. I work in Canada and come back. I might even go to London next year to travel and just go watch some footy or whatever. So it's just making the most of it and accepting that. Yeah. At the end of the day, I think things do happen for a reason. You just got to make the most of it and, and enjoy the life. You know, I love that. That's the thing. Yeah. Um, and what would you say the best advice you've ever received? First of all, who was it and what was the advice? Jeepers. That is a tough one. That is a tough one. Um, it was probably, yeah, I'm just going to go through the first thing that came to my head. It's probably from my dad. Um, Cause 
he he was a professional footballer um throughout the like in the 80s and he played for Wits and like the PSL and stuff and from when i was super small um his instruction to me no matter how big the game was or no matter like what level i got to whether I, like i got to academy football um or whatever it was always just make sure you do the basics well like make sure your first touch is good you don't have obviously there's so many other layers that come with playing football and stuff like that but for for me he would always say just make sure that you do the basics well and make sure your first touch is good so you can worry about all the the flary stuff and the crossing and the stepovers and whatever but he was just for for him it was just if you have the basics and the fundamentals right you go from there and i've always had that in my head like no matter if i was playing a, my first game in like under 5 under 6 or whether i was playing in like the engine cup against orlando pirates it was always just make sure your your first touch is good and that always kind of stuck with me i feel like you reflect that in your everyday life as well um because i think that's a lesson that you you can potentially take into a life situation to all situations mm. because you've got those players that in any sport that have the flair they've got the fans you know you got like your your david beckham's for example and your ronaldo's and your messi mm. but in order to become a professional footballer a successful person in business or you know whatever success means to you in order to become successful you have to be good at the basics uh you don't start with the flair and the skill moves and the punners and <laughs> and all of that you got to start somewhere and i exactly. think it's important to to build a base in no matter what you do and starting with the basics is you know the first place to start 100 percent um, yeah spot on i think from a a sporting side obviously we've spoken a little bit about west ham and and how much you love it you did mention that in 2016 i think it was you yeah. joined the channel um irons united at at the time yes and that was a, a west ham youtube youtube channel um what what inspired you to get that going and yeah where is it at now this is actually a funny story so yeah it was, it was yeah it was 2016 um and i just got this random message on facebook from from a guy who actually stays in scotland and who i'm actually really good friends with now and he just kind of messaged me i don't know how he got in touch with me or probably just by chance saw that i was a west ham fan from south africa and he was like yeah i'm starting a channel are you interested in maybe like contributing a little bit and we can just see where it goes and that was 2016 and the name was irons united at the time um and then fast forward a couple of years you know we were we were quite prevalent on on facebook and on youtube um we went through a number of logo changes and then we changed the name to west ham network and actually funnily enough through the page i was going on holiday to germany to see my cousins for for three weeks with my family and somehow through like the fan zone work I've done with like with like Premier League productions and stuff, I managed to get a gig 
um, to go into the studio and do an episode there and watch the game on the weekend. And then I met up with Ant and he joined me and we did like, we had the best day ever in, in London. Um, and now fast forward a couple of years, we like 22,000 subscribers on YouTube. Um, they've done amazing with the page. Like I, in the last couple of years have, because of work and just life, I haven't contributed as much as I would have liked to. But I still, you know, do the previews once a week and I still have, I'm still on Premier League TV quite a bit, which is great. I love that. Um, so yeah, it started by chance in 2016 and it's it's just like grown exponentially now to where it is now. But it generally is all the credit to him because he, he drove that like massively. He's, they've done a great job, genuinely. And I mean, you posting quite often on that channel as well. Obviously, you have to be passionate about it to keep it going mm -hmm. um, for the last seven years. What inspired you to support West Ham? So, I mean, that was just passed down from my from my dad um, and the story of how he became a West Ham fan. So my dad was actually born in Zambia um, and he grew up in Zimbabwe and he had brothers who supported Arsenal and like the general big clubs. And my dad grew a love for West Ham because the last time England won the World Cup, which was 1966, the captain of England was Bobby Moore, who played for West Ham. So my dad was like, oh, okay, cool. Like England won a World Cup. He's the captain. He plays for West Ham. Like, cool. And then um, they all sent fan mail to their clubs, like hoping to get a response. I don't know. This must have been years ago. And no one got anything back except my dad. And he got like... A, like signed letter like thanks for the support all the way from England to Zimbabwe and he was like okay cool I'm sold and then he was a West Ham fan his whole life and then it just got passed down to me like I can show you a photo when you come to me later it's literally me and my cot like newborn baby like just breathing and there's like a West Ham scarf over me so it's kind <laughs> of just like thrown upon me but I mean I wouldn't change it for the world I mean as you know we got our first trophy last year, which was like huge. I mean, I didn't think I'd ever see West Ham win a trophy. Like we've got close, we've got to FA Cup finals and stuff, but to see us win a trophy was just nuts. I've seen us get relegated more than I've seen us win trophies. So yeah, it's just that roller coaster of emotion that keeps me going. Like, I just love that, you know, I love that. It's proper working class football club, proper fans. It's not about the success. It's not about winning because that doesn't happen. But when you do win and when there is success, it's it, like it means so much more because you've seen the bad stuff. So yeah, it wouldn't change it for the world. And I think because, I mean, I'm an Everton supporter. Also, <laughs> not a club that's known to get too many trophies. But I think there's something beautiful in that. Um, and I think for me, it's definitely taught me a few life lessons. Funnily enough, um, just by seeing how, you know, you're not going to win the league every season, just like each day is not going to be a successful day. You're going to have high times, you're going to have low times. Um, you're going to battle relegation. Um, but I think there's definitely beauty in supporting a small club and you, you almost can't explain it to people you know your man city or man united they fans it, they'll they never get they don't it. get us man <laughs> they, they just don't and what i like is that even just with us if west ham win a game 
even if it's a smaller game. Often I'll watch that game because I know how behind your team you actually are. And I'll send you a message afterwards. And and likewise, I mean, we know most of the players on each other's team just because I think we enjoy being... Yeah, just learning from each other. Yeah, I mean... For sure, we we definitely love messaging each other when when we see a good result come through. But there was one message that you gave me this season that that pissed me off a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) So basically, Everton beat West Ham this season, which is still very, it just haunts me to this day. And I knew, I knew after that game, I was just waiting for you to pop into my flipping WhatsApp, bro. And there's like Mike with a wink, like, thanks for coming or something. So, yeah, but I mean, that's what I love because... West Ham and Everton are, are very similar in terms of we haven't had that success and so we can kind of take the piss out of each other because, you know, that's just how the football clubs are. Like, we don't win a lot. We just... But we enjoy it and we love it. And that's, again, another dynamic to me and you that we're very similar. We both support clubs that don't always win. Um, but when there's success, then it's extra special, you know? And I think it's quite clear to see how passionate you are about sport not even just West Ham and football, um, but I mean, just sport in general. What does sport do to you? I mean, why is it that you are so passionate? Even, I mean, you watch the rugby, you watch the cricket, whatever you watch. I relate because I feel I feel the same. It does something in me that. Yo, it's like a story and it's your interpretation of that story how does sport impact your life oh it's everything it's yeah it literally is my life i think sport was my first love genuinely um i think for me what is there's some there's like a mystery to every single sporting encounter whether it be any discipline whether it be football cricket rugby there's always going to be an underdog and there's always the chance that at any given moment something insanely crazy could happen or someone could do something insane. Um, on any given day, a team that's 20th in the Premier League might beat a team first in the Premier League at like odds of 20 to 1. And no one expected it. And it's just, yeah, it's the mystery. And the, and there's almost a poetry to it. You know, you listen to like Peter Jury commentate and the way he narrates the game is like... Unbelievable. In, un, it's insane. So for me, it's just, yeah, there's just an excitement because you never you never know what's going to happen on any given uh, day and at any given time. Um, and yeah, I, I just, yeah, I don't know where I'd be without sport. Generally, it's like my love. My, it was my first love, without a doubt. So, I'm yeah. sure Kristen loves to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well. And you, you mentioned underdog. Um, do you think it's more advantageous to be... The one who's expected to win or to be the underdog um, where you almost have no expectations mm. coming into something in sport and in life? Um, it's difficult because generally the underdogs are always under pressure and probably not doing well, whether that be in life or in sport. But I think there is um, there's something exciting about being an, an underdog in that you know, you basically, you can go out and give your all and you, there's nothing to lose. That's it. Like, there's nothing to lose. You know, you can give your absolute all. You probably expected to lose anyway. 
so why not just throw the kitchen sink at the game or like into a new project that you're doing or into like a business that you want to start up? Um, if you've got nothing to lose, I think it takes the pressure off you a little bit. You're like, I am the underdog. I'm expected to lose. Everyone expects me to lose. So screw them. Like, let me go all in. So I think the underdog tag is actually quite a good thing. Um, in life, like whether you be, whether it's in sport or in business or yeah, mm. anything like that. I think from, so one of the podcasts that I really enjoy is Diary of a CEO by Stephen Bartlett. Mm -hmm. And he's often speaking to, you know, very successful business owners and people who have like come a long way in their life and are very successful in many different facets of life. And a lot of them speak about how it was, it was better when they were at the bottom of the hill because they always had something to look up to. Mm. And it was almost like they were measuring their growth. But as soon as they got to the peak, then they had all that pressure of falling all the way. Yeah, to stay at down. the top is the tough part. That's the difficult part. I think, as you said, when you're at the bottom and you're looking up and you're looking forward, there's always, you can always improve, you can always get better. But when you're at the top to stay there, that's the hardest part. And also when you're at the top, uh, people want to, want to knock you off the top. And having said that, do you believe there is a top? Um, I think it's good to believe there isn't a top because once you have a ceiling, I think you limit yourself. So you got to, I mean, the sky's the limit, I think is the way to go. Um, but obviously everyone has their demands and stuff, but I think it's good to, to ha almost have no ceiling basically. Yeah. Um, I think what, what people don't know about you, um, your family, I mean, I, I'll always give praise to your family because your family is beautiful. It truly you. is. I love yours too, Mike. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and every time I go there, I feel so welcome. The energy is just so warm. Um, and I think that that shows a lot in, in who you are. I really think that you are generally good person and a kind hearted person. Thank you, bro. And your family is also just incredible at sport. <laughs> like it's actually, it's actually a joke. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know, um, your mom's story, but I mean, your dad, professional footballer. Yep. Then your brother, Mike, he, that man's too talented. He, I mean, now he's, he could be a professional golfer if he wanted to, he hits the ball. 60 meters past me easily <laughs> and i've been playing for a long time um cricket he was he was quite a leader from mm. from what i heard and he played i think it was under 21s for under sorry, 19 under 19 under 19 yeah and he was roommates with quinny de kock yeah i mean your sister as well uh i a mean machine on the netball court unbelievable soccer yeah Every week it was, it was like when we had assembly, it was Richard scored a, a hundred <laughs> and uh, Kaylee Farson got four goals and they won four. <laughs> no, I mean, absolutely ridiculous. Um, but in that, so 
the sports that I remember you playing were cricket, rugby, and soccer. Mm-hmm. And you're quite brilliant at all of them, to be oh, fair. You make me blush. <laughs> but the coaches all saw something in you that I don't even know if you saw it in yourself, but your energy just, it showed captaincy through and through. Um, there wasn't a doubt in any of those coaches' minds to make you captain. And you were captain of the cricket team, mm-hmm. the rugby team, and the soccer team. And I saw, whenever I watched you, you were so proud just to put that, that captain's armband on. And it's almost like you looked after the people around you as if they were your family. And what leadership traits do you think those coaches saw in you? Um, Yeah, I honestly really, really loved, I love captaining teams. Um, I just, yeah, you you try and, you try and set an example for people to follow. You try and um, encourage your teammates. I think they saw probably just quite a level head. I know, I mean, in school, I used to get quite um, hot-headed and I used to love a tackle. And I used to love a scrap every now and then. But I think they just saw, um, especially in training, like a calm level head, someone that um, they knew had the ability and could play and was good and stuff. But also, um, I'd like to think I was quite encouraging of my teammates and saw like potential in them too and how they could work really well in, in the team um, and wanting to see my teammates grow. You know, there would be like, if you think about Crawford sport, generally not the greatest sport, as you know, it's not an all boys school. Like, I mean, we did do well in like football and stuff where we competed with the big boys, but you'd see people coming in grade eight that had never held a cricket bat or that had never like tackled someone in rugby. And then you see them grow and like have such a burning love for the sport. And I think I had that encourage that encouraging attitude to like uplift, uplift them and want to see them do well. So I think it was probably yeah, just like the level head and the ability to get down to a level where you can encourage and build up your teammates. Um, uh, yeah. So I'd, I'd, I'd like to think that's how I carried myself. Um, and that's probably what they saw in me. Um, yeah, but I've always loved being a leader. I've, that's always been something I've enjoyed. Um, but at the same time, trying to just keep your head down and not get carried away and not be the limelight, not be the center of attention. Um, and rather, how can I work together with everyone else to achieve a common goal or to win that game or to get into that tournament? So, yeah. And what I quite like about that is from being on the same cricket team, for example, as you, you've almost got that quiet confidence. You're not the loudest person on the field, but you still manage to inspire a little bit of everyone's heart on that field. And what did you do to actually motivate those players to get behind you and the strategy that you had and the the mentality that you had? I think it's about investing in someone. Um, When you make it about yourself, uh, you very quickly lose people. And I think when people in my teams could see that I was taking an interest in them and I wanted, I was focusing on them and I wanted to see them improve, it immediately ignites something within them and they go straight away, okay, 
it's not about him. It's not about what he can do. It's about what I can do. Um, so I think it's having that connection with, with, with your teammates and going down because I mean, there were people that I would chat to that genuinely, like factually weren't on the same level as me. That's just how it was. They, they weren't as good as I was, but for me to just get down to the level and be like, bro, you've got so much potential. You can do this. And as soon as they can see that someone's actively investing in them, I think it's bound to drive something within them and they would want to improve and want to get better. And I think, I think they saw that I could um, get down to the level and have just a genuine conversation with them and want them to do well. And when they saw that, I think that ignited something in them and wanted made them want to do better and achieve something. And I think within that, I mean, you were a brilliant sportsman yourself. I remember, like I say, your whole family was exceptional, still are in many ways. But I still remember the one year where... You got Sportsman of the Year and Kaylee got Sportswoman of the Year, same year. It was just, sport was the fastest. <laughs> um, but I think, like you say, it's about almost creating synergy and having a bit of selflessness. And I've never known you to be a selfish person and... I think what I really want to know is what are the benefits of being selfless as opposed to being so trapped in that that narrow-minded thinking, which we all get into sometimes. I mean, everyone's guilty of it. At the end of the day, you got to look after yourself. How do you balance looking after yourself with having that, that side of care and selflessness towards others? Um, that's something that I think everyone can work on and is actively working on to try and achieve. For me, um, as much as I am very out there on social media and very much um, out there when it comes to like doing stuff on TV and stuff, I genuinely am someone that doesn't like compliments. Like I don't like the limelight on me. You you know me as like someone will, will be trying to hype me up and I very quickly downplay it like, no, 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 like thank you, but... Yeah, yeah, that's just how I am. I, yeah, I've never been one to, to want the limelight on me and want to be the center of attention. As you said, like I earlier, I kind of just had that quiet confidence where I knew I have, I had the ability, and I knew um, I could trust myself. I didn't need to be shouting or mouthing off to everyone that I was this good or I could do that because I had the belief internally, I could keep quiet and do my talking on the pitch or um, by how I treat someone. Um, but it's a very difficult line to to balance, to have the selflessness and not to become too self-absorbed. And I think I I work I need to work on it. Everyone needs to kind of work on it to find that balance. But it is it's a good question. I must actually think about that on the way home and, and answer it a bit better. <laughs> and if there's a balance, surely then there are times to be selfish. Mm -hmm. And when do you think? you found for you that it's been a good time for you to block out the noise and just focus on on you um there's probably a couple i'd i'd say probably my honors year at varsity where um yeah to get through um accounting sciences especially in honors is, is brutal so i had to say no and i had to be selfish to to focus on studies and then more recently 
um, being selfish with my time, uh, obviously from when I met Chris up until now, I have been very selfish with my time and I've wanted to spend a lot of my time with her rather than do all the other things I used to do when I wasn't in a relationship. So I think, yeah, those are probably two of the times when I had to be selfish, but I, I surprisingly, I found it really easy to be selfish. As I said, like right at the beginning of this podcast, because I was so settled and so happy, like it was, it was a no brainer for me to be selfish. Um, and I think everyone needs to be selfish sometimes. So, I mean, I think for me, I find that obviously there's levels to it, but I know when I'm doing things for other people too much, and it's almost like that people pleasing that yes man thing that you were speaking about. And in those moments for me, I need to go back into like as an introverted person, naturally, I need to go back in inside and figure out how I'm going to work things out. Because if I'm just listening to the noise around me and being selfless in a way, I don't give the best of me. Mm -hmm. And I think for me this year, what's been a big help is definitely meditations. So that's something that I've, I've, would you recommend that? I, I would, yeah. I mean, it's so, it's so simple, but even taking 10 or 15 minutes in a day to just focus on the present moment and how you feeling has such a big impact on how your day goes For and sure. your interactions with others. So I think it's definitely tough to deal with that, that balance of being selfish and being selfless. Mm -hmm. But honestly, I think you are one of the most selfless people and i know you don't like compliments but <laughs> i appreciate that a lot mike no you you, you really show that and um yeah i think i wanted to know how who were you in school like wh what's the difference between 15 year old richard mm -hmm. who's captain of all the teams and still navigating a lot of of life and you know being that yes man to who you are now um can you just explain that that difference for you yeah i think um from primary school all the way through to high school i think i i was very driven and i think i took things very seriously all the time and it was a good thing. I mean, it meant I did well academically. I was good on the football field, on the sports pitch. Um, but one thing that I've definitely, in like the last couple of years, is I just learned not to be so serious all the time. Like there's a time and place to be serious, but then there's also a time and place to just relax and like let your hair down, um, have a good time. And yeah, my time in school, I was very like, tick the boxes, do what you need to do, uh, get to varsity like there was a, always a plan ahead of me but I think I genuinely I did take things too seriously um and now at 25 I have a much changed mindset about you know when to take things seriously and when not to take things seriously it's just having that balance so I think that's the main the main difference for me 
I could have been way naughty at school if I, if I wanted to. I was a good boy. I was a good boy. <laughs> yeah, no, I think uh, we were quite similar in school. Definitely. In, in a lot of ways. Mm. And that's why we became friends from a young age. I think I was also like that. I mean, I never had a teacher that hated me. Same. Um, but I was also, I didn't feel like I lived those younger years to the extent that I, I should have. Not to say that I have regrets, but, you know, looking back, I, I, in hindsight, I do think navigating that balance is, I'm finding it a little bit easier now, but back then, yeah. I was also very, very serious. Like uh, a maths exam was like everything. Make or break, bro. You know? Yeah. And it would, if we had a, a cricket match and we lost, it would affect me for the whole week, <laughs> you know? And yeah. I think uh, growing up, like as you mature and become more of, of an adult, you start to lose that playful side. It's so easy to do. Um, and I think what's quite important is still to look for that playful side. 100% in in normal situations because once you get a job once you've got that degree and you start putting all this pressure onto your shoulders whether it's internally or externally so we've spoken quite a lot about your family i mean i've never said a bad thing about them and i i never will but what do you think the role of family is in your life uh, huge. Um, I'm very lucky and I'm very blessed that um, I have parents that have been together for, I think it's 39 years now. They just had their 39 year anniversary. So I'm very blessed because I obviously have a lot of friends whose parents have split or then there's been a lot of trauma that's come with that. Um, so I think I've had a really stable base, which has helped me immensely. Very supportive parents um, in different ways. My dad, like on the football field or through our love for music. Um, my mom has just been so caring, like all the time, amazing. And then uh, my brother and sister, we have also very different relationships. I obviously have a twin sister who we are very close. Um, and then you have my relationship with my brother, which is also very different. So yeah, family, huge. Um, and they've been so supportive and um, it's kind of shaped me into who I am today. Um, so yeah, the, the, the value of family just can never go underestimated. Um, and it's the same with yours. Like I love your family. I'm sure they've been amazing for you or very different to mine and very like a lot of different ways. But I think the, the overall like love and stuff that you need, I think we both got that in different ways. Agreed. Yeah. And I think having a support system is so important. Um, I mean, I, I know a lot of friends of mine that don't have healthy family relationships and going home actually feels a bit like a war zone. Yeah. And I think we've both been very fortunate that majority of the time when you come home, you actually feel like you can be yourself, let your hair down. Mm. Um, and I think... With you, I've seen 
what I really appreciate is that you're just as authentic around your family as you are with everyone around you. And I mean, that's, Thank that's you, amazing. Man. Thank you. I appreciate that. It really is. I mean, what do you think the importance is of having that, that constant support system to, to go home to in life is massive because, um, as you know, you not every day is going to be rainbows and butterflies. There are going to be times when you have shit days. There's going to be times when you genuinely are not enjoying your job or you, you're annoyed with something or you're angry for some reason. And I think um, having that support structure for me, like coming home after bad days, you just know that you can kind of switch off from the outside world and, as you said, just be yourself. Um, and, yeah, my family are very like soft and caring um there's a lot wrong with our family don't get me wrong like <laughs> we are not the perfect family far from it um but i think it's just having that that care to come home to and well, you know i can come home and banter with my dad or he'll put his lp on and we'll bang some music and have a good time or i have a chat with my mom while she's cooking it's just that like soft sentimental value that you get to know that no matter how shit a day can be you can come home you can unwind and then you can hit it hard tomorrow and go again. And outside of family, where do you, or who do you reach out to when you're going through tough times? Well, people like you, because I know you understand and we're on the same wavelength. Um, my girlfriend, obviously, my, my brother, my sister, we have a very good relationship. Um, so yeah, externally it would be friends, it would be your loved ones. Um, but yeah, I think I've got it nailed down into who I can be open with and who I can't. And I'm pretty flippin' chuffed with who I can be open with because we're on the same page. And yeah, I'm just very lucky, bro, to have the family and friend group that I have around me. And in closing, yes, sir. Um, if you could meet one person, dead or alive, who would it be and why? My word. Um, this is a tough one. I'm trying not to go on the sport train here. <laughs> it's where your heart actually go. goes. Uh, oh, I'd probably say, I'd probably say Pele. It's very, it's a standard like football answer, but I just think, or someone like Ronaldinho, actually, Ronaldinho. I'm going to go with Ronaldinho because he was just at the time, he was like the maverick of football and he was the man, the most flair character, but he was as he had that flair on the pitch and he had it off the pitch. He knew how to party, he knew how to have a good time. I'm sure that man could, <laughs> that man must have the craziest stories to tell. So I think, yeah, for me it would be Ronaldinho because that man was just a, like a dynamo on the field. He was just so, so cool and off the pitch as well. And knew how to have a good time, still does. So yeah, it would probably be him. Richard, thank you for your time today. Thank you. I thoroughly enjoyed this. And yeah, I mean, we've spoken many times about possibly being each other's best men one day. Mm -hmm. And honestly, that is how deeply I feel um, towards you. And I, I want to thank you for your presence and, and your energy and your willingness to do this. Um, really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me, bro. I really, really, really enjoyed that. So yeah, thank you, bro.